Greetings, listeners. It is I, TV Spitzer in Farmer Days, here once again to talk to you about the Cthulhu mythos, its books, its monsters, its unfortunate human casualties, its timeline in general, and even its tangential bits, like the dreamlands or things of a weird nature that are Lovecraftian leaning. Once more we head into those dark woods, further feeling those malevolent forces upon us. Once again we walk down the lightless stone staircase in the middle of nowhere. Hey everyone, it's me, TV. Just reminding you, we have t-shirts in the shop. Just go to pgttcm.com, check out all of our cool t-shirts and stickers. Heck, we even got some shelf curtains in there. Keep clean, look cool, have cool stickers to put on stuff. Astounding Story 7, July 1930 by Various Earth the Marauder Beginning a three-part novel by Arthur J. Burks Chapter 5 The Betrayal of Dalis And until the arrival of the other two Sarkas, Dalis said nothing. His face flushed an angry red as Sarka the first received the Andrew signal and stepped into the laboratory which had once been his, which he had delivered into the capable hands of Sarka the second in order to find new channels for his genius as a worker for the betterment of the world's people. This he had found in organization, so that the people worked and labored despite their personal quarrels in closer harmony than they ever had before. But now Sarka the Third had called, and the two Sarkas responded. Daly snarled at his ancient enemy, who looked to be the image of Sarka the Third, and not one whit older, though one had preceded the other into the world by many centuries. Still the pleasant, congenial Dalis, I see, smiled Sarka the First. For the moment it seemed that Dalis would die there of his seething anger. But he answered no word for all of a minute. Then, this mad grandson of yours has made me a prisoner until such time as I concur in all his plans. If he says you are a prisoner, that you are, snapped the elder Sarka angrily. Son, what is this thing you plan? For almost a century, replied Sarka, I have been planning this. I knew when father told me that Dalis had sworn he was able to hold for a moment the headlong flight of the Earth in its orbit, that Dalis didn't lie or bluff. In your day, even, that was possible, and I continued with the knotty problem until I deduced the manner of its doing. I too can hold the Earth's rotation, or throw it out of its orbit. I took your idea, Dalis, independently of you, knowing you would never reveal your secret to a Sarka and amplified it until I can not only hold the Earth in its orbit, but throw it out of its orbit entirely. For a moment Sarka studied the angry face of Dalis, and his own was very thoughtful. Dalis, he said at last, I wish you were not our enemy, for you are a genius, and the world has need of all the knowledge of such genius as it possesses. Why do you oppose us? Because, snarled Dalis, I guess something of your plan that I don't like. I don't like the Sargas, never have. But neither have the Sargas any love for me. When you spoke to us all, I knew that somehow you had discovered the secret. You spoke when you delivered your ultimatum of attacking the moon and after it Mars. 
You also granted to my gents what would have seemed a great honor to anyone who didn't fathom the tricky scheming of Sarkas. That of being the first into the fray. If we are to be first, and the moon is to be the first attacked, then you plan to relieve the world forever of me, your arch-enemy, by exiling me and all my gens upon the moon, a dead world covered with ashes, whose people dwell in den caverns, like gnomes of the underworld. Stay, snapped Sarka, but I granted you a greater honor even than that, Dalis. I planned on your gens, led by you, making a successful conquest of the moon, because only such a genius as Dalis could force from this dead world a living for his gens, because you are the wisest of the spokesmen. I planned for you the greatest task, because I need you, I don't slay you. I thank you, bowing low with the deepest sarcasm, but you honor me too much. And tell me, pray, if it's not true that you plan for the Sarkas their choice of the best and newest worlds of the universe? Sarka didn't answer for a second, while his sensitive nostrils quivered with fury. The Sarkas hadn't noticed, but Jaska, daughter of Cleric, had admitted herself through the exit dome in a way known only to Sarka and to herself, as she had entered many times before so as not to disturb Sarka at his labors. She now stood silently there, divesting herself of her belt and outer clothing, beneath which was the golden toga worn by all the women on the earth. Dalis, however, had seen her, and his eyes narrowed craftily as he awaited the answer of Sarka. Dalis, said Sarka softly, it's not for you to question me, but to obey me. I haven't undertaken this step without mastering all its details and I refuse to allow you to swerve me in a single one of them from my plan. Dalis straightened, standing stiffly at savage attention, and met the angry eyes of Sarka without flinching. There was no fear in Dalis, as all the world knew, but he was a schemer and selfish. After all, he said, I have known Sarkas to make promises they couldn't keep. How do I know? How does the world know? that you can do what you say you can do. If, said Sarka, I close all contact of this laboratory with the world outside, so that none may hear what I say save we four, and I then whisper here the secret you never told, Dalis, when my father's father refused to help you, will you then believe? The face of Dalis went suddenly white, but he nodded, his eyes burning redly. Jaska moved closer to the man, who stood near the table of the very colored lights. You needed my father's father, said Sarka softly, because the secret of your scheme rested here in this laboratory, which is the highest point in the world. You pretended to need him in your scheme, but you didn't need my father's father, though you did need his laboratory, and some of the facts of science that he discovered. So you came to him with your scheme, discovered that he believed, though he denied it, your scheme was possible, because he refused to aid you in it. Then, as an excuse to re-enter this laboratory, you told him you would return within two days. Now, shall I tell you your secret? The lips of Dalis was moving soundlessly. His right hand started to rise, though he would make it signal the negative, he was unable for a moment to speak. 
but even as he stood there, swaying slightly on his feet, Sarka dashed to the lights on the table, disconnecting them one by one to the revolving barrel, which then ceased to revolve for the first time in centuries, whirled when he had finished, and stepped to the very center of the room. Now, he whispered, your secret, Dalis. Still the hand appraised. Still Dalis tried to speak, and couldn't. Sarka spoke in a hoarse, almost terrified whisper, four words. The barrel, the ovoids, gasp of surprise from the other two Sarkas, whose eyes for a second flashed the huge barrel, which now was still silent and blind. Dawning comprehension was evident in their faces. The success of the revolving barrel, whispered Sarka, which sees all that transpires in this world depends on one fact, that its revolving is proportionately timed to infinite exactness with the revolution of the Earth about its axis. This barrel is the master barrel of the Earth, which was why Dalis needed this barrel, and could use no other. Suppose that for a period of two days, uniformly progressive, this barrel were forced to revolve in sharp jerks at an increasing rate of speed, with all connections in place, and all the world's barrel attuned to the speed of this one. What would happen? What would happen if a single gens were marshaled in warlike array atop the area of the gens, and kept up a steady, rhythmic march for a period of hours? In a few hours, whispered Sarka the first, the roof of the gens area would begin to vibrate, to vibrate throughout all the area, and even into all surrounding gens areas, and in time the roof would collapse. Exactly, said Sarka, breathing heavily. This barrel, when attuned to all other barrels in the world, would have this vibratory effect not only in a certain area of the world, but upon the entire world. Force the speed of the barrels to the utmost limit, and you sway the world to your will. As a marching horde would sway the roof of a vast section of the world if the herd's commander willed. But that is not enough. The world would tremble, but nothing more. The Earth's store of ovidum, which is antigravitational and used in minute quantities in our antigravitational ovoids, is evenly distributed throughout the world. By vibration of the barrels, I can control it, scatter it or gather it all together wherever I will. By shifting through vibration this antigravitational material, I can disrupt, make uneven, or nullify the pull of gravity on the Earth. That would do it, said Dalis, finding his voice at last. But how would you control the course the Earth would take, thus thrown out of its orbit? That, my dear Dalis, is for the moment my secret. But is it? Dalis suddenly shouted. Before the three Sarkas could recover from their surprise at the man's sudden vehemence, he made a swift, terrifying move. He leaped away from them to stand beside Jaska, daughter of Cleric. Sarka, he shrieked, I know you love this woman. Know this little tube I hold against her side. With it I can cause her to vanish for all time, merely by a slight pressure of the fingers. And that will I do, unless you immediately open all contacts with the world and remain silent while I tell the people of Earth how you would betray them. 
the three Sarkas were petrified with amazement and horror, for they recognized the slender troop in the hand of Dallas as a ray director, the world's greatest engine of destruction, and knew that it would do exactly as Dallas had said it would. Automatically, because they were brave men, they had stepped a trifle closer to Jaska and Dalis. Perspiration poured from their cheeks as they stared at this rebel. But their fears were for Jaska, who now spoke for the first time. Let him do as he wills, she said smilingly. Since for the good of the world I don't fear to die. Refuse him, Sarka, and I know that I go into death's darkness loving you always, and knowing that you will succeed in the end, in spite of the opposition of men like Dalis. A man of unexpected actions, this Dalis, for while the attentions of the Sarkas were on the little tableau he had staged, his eyes had darted to the barrel, to the control which Sarka had touched to steal its revolving. Now he sprang away from Jaska was free of her, and the Sarkas before any could move to intercept him. He dashed to the barrel. Instantly it swept into motion, while Dalis whirled to face the Sarkas, and from his lips came a burst of triumphant laughter. One hand was on the barrel control, the other still held the ray director. Fools! he cried. Fools! Duped like children! And now it's Dalis who is master of the world! Move closer to me, and I will turn my ray director upon this barrel, which you have so kindly informed me is master of all the barrels and of all overdom deposits. Be glad that I don't turn it upon you, but for you I have a kinder, more honorable fate. I now am master, and I will direct the destiny of the world, but I will never leave it, because I suspect that it is the most pleasant of all the worlds. I will, however, choose for the Sarkas a world that shall be the dreariest in all the universe. The Sarkas world, as soft laughter came from Jaska, daughter of Cleric. Strange, lilting laughter. They turned in time to see her vanish through the exit dome. But for a long moment her jeering laughter seemed to sound in the laboratory she had left, and to judge by her laughter, had betrayed. For Dalis, arch-traitor, echoed her laughter. Chapter 6 The Barrels in Tune Remember, said Dalis, as the barrel began to revolve and its humming mounted moment by moment to normal, that you must conquer in whatever I say to the people of the Earth. For if you don't, I swear that I will destroy this master barrel. Then what happens to your scheme, Sarka the Third? You see, there is no change in the plans, say one. I am the master, not you. Dalis wasn't a madman, for the world conceded him place in its list of geniuses next below the three Sarkas, which was high honor indeed, and Dalis possessed in abundance that most universal of all human emotions, jealousy. For centuries he had been nursing it, watching the Sarkas always in the niches just above him, yet never been able to attain to their eminence. Now, he had outwitted them. It might be for a moment only, but while his mastery lasted, he would drink deeply of personal satisfaction. Now, however, there was no gloating in his face, for he realized, as Sarka had realized, the infinite gravity of the whole situation, 
If a mistake were made, the world would plunge to destruction, go cooling forever in headlong trace through space. Keep the ray director hidden, he whispered, while the murmuring of the master barrel mounted as it gained speed again. But know you, Sarkas, that its muzzles points at the master barrel, always. Now the forms of Earth were appearing on the barrel. Many in countless horrors were maneuvering in myriads, legions and armies across the face of the globe. There was no marching, but an effortless, swift, as light, almost aerial maneuvering. For each human being possessed the tight feet and metalized cloth, with a gleaming helmet in whose skull pan was the anti-gravitational ovoid, which was the outside garment of earthlings. With the ovoid sitting exactly against the skull, man had but to wheel himself in any direction at any livable height, and the action took place. In the same way, one man to whom others in an organization gave allegiance by appointment could will all his underlings into whatever formation he desired. As beautiful and effortless as the flight of those birds which had vanished from the earth centuries before. Remember, Dalis, said Sarka, that while the speed of the earth in its orbit is between 18 and 19 miles per second, once thrown out of its orbit and forced to follow a straight or nearly straight line, the speed may be many times that or much less. The simplest facts of science, snarled Dalis, were known to me a thousand years before you were born. Now I shall tell the spokesman of the gents, and be sure that you second what I say. He paused, then raising his voice impressively, he spoke. O spokesman of the gents, O gents of Earth, hark you to the words of Dalis and of Sarka. The time has come to try the experiment of which Sarka told you, and which I, Dalis, of the gens of Dalis have found good and hereby certify. See that all your barrels are mathematically tuned to catch every sound, every vibration, every picture from this barrel of Sarka, henceforth to be known as the master barrel. No matter what happens, no matter what changes take place in the temperature of your homes, no matter what storms may come, Touch not your barrels until instructed from this laboratory. Tune your barrels, then leave them, and hasten faster with their preparations for war. Each spokesman of a gens will at once instruct the members of his gen that all partitions between families shall immediately be removed, outward from a common center in each case, until one hundred families occupy a single dwelling place. Materials from destroyed partitions shall be carefully herded, and the newer and bigger areas shall become maneuvering places for the hundred families which will occupy each given area. Facing a crisis as we are, no thought can be given to privacy, and neighborly quarrels must be forgotten. This move is necessary because no single dwelling place is large enough to be used as a place of maneuver, and from now on until the command is given. Maneuvers must not be held outside, for hark you, or spokesman, or gentle of earth, we are about to start upon our voyage into outer space. Spokesman, call in your maneuvering myriads. You have five minutes.
In five minutes not a flying man could be seen in all the cold, stormy outside. Dalis spoke again. Tune your barrels and remove partitions, taking care that in reducing partitions you so estimate your stresses and strains that the roof of the world be not endangered by weight that is unsupported or improperly supported. Food conservers, redouble your production and brush your transportation of food capsules. Mothers of men, take over the labors of your sons and your husbands. Sisters and sweethearts of men, join the myriads in maneuvers, for you too may require knowledge of fighting. In spite of himself, an ejaculation of admiration escaped the lips of Sarka. Heronid Dalis turned to him, and a flush of pleasure tinged his cheeks as Sarka shaped one word with his lips. Excellent. Then after a pause, Sarka spoke directly to the gents of Earth. Take heed of the words of Dalis, for they are also the words of the Sarkas. Then an expression of surprise flashed across the face of Sarka, as Dalis' fingers began to move in a swift sort of pantomime. For the sign manual he used was the secret manual of Jaska and Sarka. His heart called within him at this new proof of his betrayal. Sarka nevertheless noted the words which dropped silently over the fingers of this enemy of the Sarkas. You are wise to resist no further. Together we can do much. And if you give your word not to oppose me, we can work together. But I will be the master. But if we grant you the mastery, Will you hit our advice if it's good? I will, but I alone will be the judge of its worth. Then we work together henceforth. Let us begin. In the time required to move from here to the moon, our people will have ample opportunity to perfect themselves in maneuvers. Are you ready, O oh, my father and father's father? Ready, they said together. But for a moment Davis hesitated. Your word. He snapped, looking at each Sarka in turn, and each in his turn nodded. They had given their word, but not their love to Dalis. Dalis bowed low to Sarka the youngest, who darted to the onyx base in which revolved the master barrel, and pressed a small lever of metalized jade, set in a slot on the southern side of the base of onyx. The humming sound within the barrel became perceptibly louder and as the minutes passed, and Sarka stood arms folded watching the revolving barrel, it continued to increase. Here was the crisis, and as they watched its sure, certain approach, they forgot their enmities, Dalis and the Sarkas, and watched the whirling barrel. Minute by minute its harmony increased. The figures still were played to be seen within the barrel, but were becoming blurred of outline. Partitions had been removed all over the earth, increasing the size of rooms a hundredfold, reducing their number a hundredfold. The gens of earth by hundred families were maneuvering under the heads of hundreds. The depth of the master barrel, therefore, was a maze of flying men, with their extremities slightly blurred and becoming more so as the master barrel increased its speed. Here now was shown the value of the organization fostered by Sarka I, for in all the world there was no single barrel out of tune with the master barrel, and as the master barrel increased the speed of its revolving, so increased at the same time the speed of all the other barrels. Minute by minute the humming of the master, and with it the others, increased in volume. Father, spoke Sarka, 
to the observatory behind the barrel, please, to watch the stars, and from them to know the direction we take when the combined vibrations of the barrels have affected the quiescence of Earth's deposits of ovidum and, through its shifting, disturbed the flight of the Earth in its orbit. With a brief note, Sarka's father hurried around the master barrel to the tiny observatory beyond, from which, through the microtelescopes, those who knew could read the secrets of the planets, the stars, the universe. Sarka watched him go, wondering if Dalis might not forbid him. But Dalis merely watched him go and said nothing. Now that the time of change was upon the world, Dalis realized his responsibility. It was little wonder that he began to be for the first time a little bit afraid. Note, Dalis, snapped Sarka, and Dalis started nervously as his name was spoken. Feel the trembling of the laboratory, just as the same trembling affects all the other buildings in the world in which barrels are located. At the minutes past, the trembling will go deeper and deeper and by tomorrow the first tremors will be reaching into the earth to several miles below the last habitable inner level. And then... Then, repeated Sarka tersely, my father will know by his study of the stars in which new direction we are traveling. For within twenty-four hours the earth will have started on its voyage of conquest. Is there no way, Sarka, queried Dalis, by which we can control the direction of our flight? There is a way, O wise and gallant Dalis, but since you don't know it, how now is master? Dalis' face became as pale as chalk, and Sarka smiled a little as he watched him. Then, wondering what new resolve stirred the depths of this master egoist of the earth, he watched emotions flash to and fro across the face of Dalis, watched the color return to his cheeks. The cold of death gripped at his heart when Dalis spoke. I don't fear death, O wise and gallant Sarka, he mocked, for I have lived fully and well and for many, many centuries. You know that I don't fear to slay people of the earth, for did I not propose to your father's father that a flower would be beneficial to unfit earthlings? Here, then, keep your secret and I shall allow the earth to go outward into space out of control, in whatever direction it will, if any other words happen to lie in our pathway. Daly shrugged indifferently, turning his back on Sarka, to peer again into the depths of the master barrel, whose voice had risen to a vaster murmur, whose pictures were becoming moment by moment more blurred as time fled irrevocably into eternity. Sarka the first took advantage of his opportunity, and leaped at the back of Daly's, hands extended to fasten them in the throat of his ancient enemy. Dalis whirled with a burst of laughter, and the muzzle of his ray director covered the person of the first Sarka. In a flash, the spot where Sarka the first had been was vacant, and there was no single sign to show that he had ever stood there. Silence then in the laboratory, save for the mounting murmur of the master barrel. End of section 5 Hi, I'm Rob Whiten from the Innsmouth Book Club. 
join me and my fellow guide John Chadwick as we take you on a fortnightly tour of Innsmouth. We visit places such as the Picture House, the Library and Innsmouth Museum to discuss all aspects of weird fiction, whether it be book, film, music, TV or art. As well as that, we stop over at the Gilman House to have a chat with a resident guest. That includes authors, artists, musicians, in fact, Lovecraftian creatives of all types. You can find our free shows on Patreon, and there you can also sign up as a patron, which brings you bonus content, plus a monthly PDF copy of Innsmouth News, which features articles, author spotlights, all the latest news and reviews, and more. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash InnsmouthBC. We hope to see you soon, because remember, Innsmouth isn't just a place, it's a state of mind. Thank you once again for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. You can help show your support by going to the show notes and following any of the links that'll tell you how to support the show, how to support our guests, and thank you to all of our guests who you can find in the show notes. Rate, review, subscribe, and remember, patrons get priority access to asking us questions, suggesting topics, even, I don't know, uh, submitting stuff. Actually, you don't have to be a patron to submit anything. That's how Dave got on the show, and that's how you can get on the show, too. It's the People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Thank you for listening. Back to the show. Prepare for a spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Hear your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classics and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival, Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and The Head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster Kid Radio. Radio. Radio.